0: Hello,
1: and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. David, uh, welcome.
0: Thanks, Tom. We have a very special guest today, a friend of mine, Mark Owens, and I have endless admiration for his work. He is a gentleman who author of three books, including The Cry of the Kalahari, which is a best-selling book. When, Mark, in the 70s or 80s when the book was published? you uh, Mark? Uh,
1: no, in the mid-80s. Mid-80s.
0: Mm-hmm. And we did a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. I just want to pick up the story where he left off. Mark is a PhD scientist. And what field are you in, Mark? What, what field do you work in as far as the, the PhD? Animal, work?
1: animal behavior and... Oh, sorry. And Mark's Animal Behavior and Ecology.
0: And he spent uh, 23 years in Africa working with elephants and lions. And he actually did the impossible. is actually created an elephant and game preserve that still exists today. And literally has saved tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of elephants and other animals. And it's a remarkable story. And he's a real deal. But we left the podcast off where he had broken his back developed spines, has spine surgery to repair his spine. Fortunately, he wasn't paralyzed. Normally, I do that operation pretty frequently, a, a big spine fusion, and people are pretty uncomfortable for two weeks. By six weeks, they're doing pretty well. And by three months, generally, why they're fine. He was under a lot of stress at the time. He had fled Africa after his third assassination attempt, and he developed chronic pain. That was quite severe. Then he had a second operation couple of years later where they fused the one level below his thoracic spine which made his pain much worse and mark how long had you been in pain before you saw me in seattle in other words you were thinking about doing another operation but how long between that last operation and seeing me did you uh, were you in pain
1: um i was in pain see i saw you in uh, 2000 um let's see 12 so uh I had been in pain for about eight years before I saw you, eight to nine.
0: And he had high, do- high dose narcotics, kept active, maintaining a 700 acre ranch, which is a wolf and gr- grizzly preserve, which made it very popular with the local ranchers, to put it mildly. But somehow, I don't know how he stayed as active as he did, but he high dose narcotics. And he, you had had two recommendations by two other surgeons to do what's called osteotomy, where they chop his spine into straighten him up a bit and then fuse him, put a steel right in from his neck down to his pelvis. It's about 10 to 10 to 12 hours of surgery. And it has a very high complication rate, probably 60, 70%. The other problem is it doesn't work very often. Maybe he is successful in relieving pain maybe 20, 25% of the time. And then Mark was getting ready to do the operation from a surgeon in Spokane recommendations. Then he came and saw me in clinic one day and I saw him once, had a brief conversation with him. And Long story short, his spine has some degeneration below his fusion, but disc degeneration is simply normal for a given spine. Disc degeneration has been documented very clearly not to be a source of back pain. I can see anything to fuse. It looked just fine to me. He wasn't 20 years old anymore, but neither, are, neither am I. And it really just a normal spine for his age. And Mark, at that point when I told you that I saw nothing to do surgery on and you had these big surgery recommendations, you, what was your reaction to that?
1: Well, you probably saw my chin bounce off the floor (laughs) because like so many of us, uh, in that situation, I had been convinced and conditioned to believe, uh, by, I guess I'd seen a total of probably eight to eight to 10 or 12 specialists at that time over the years. And virtually every one of them recommended a major surgery to relieve back pain. And, um, the last one that I went to see, and the surgeon I went to see in Spokane, Washington, referred to it as the Blue Plate Special. So I was ready to sign on the dotted line, but something just told me I should have another opinion, and that's when I came to see you. And when you told me that I that you weren't going to um, basically cut me, <laughs> fillet me like a salmon, I was appalled because I was fully expecting that I would have to be have to undergo some sort of surgery to get the relief that I needed to live some sort of a reasonable life, and uh, so I was stunned. I, I I literally was stunned, as you I'm sure you could tell. Right. And I, I said to you, I, at the time, I I just been to a, a surgeon who's recommended a, a 12 to 15 hour, two day surgery with two surgeons and. And breaking my back in two places again, my spine in two places, and going in from the front and the back. Uh, one surgeon from the front, another from the back, et cetera, et cetera. And when you said, "Well, I can't recommend surgery," I I just couldn't believe it. First of all, then my thought went, "Well, how could how could these two doctors be looking at the same imagery? One saying that I needed a major surgery to have any chance of of recovering a normal life, and another one saying." Your back looks perfectly okay. Yes, it's had some wear, but it's stable, and this can't be the issue that's causing your pain. So I was stunned, to make a long story short.
0: Well, let me just stop here for a second and editorialize is that this is, I, as Mark knows, and he knows me very well, is that I have quit my spine surgery practice at the peak of my career to try to do what I can do to stop the juggernaut of spine surgery. It is well documented that disc degeneration doesn't cause back pain and the success rate of doing a back pain operation is about 20 to 25 percent. The chance of actually making somebody worse with the operation, operation is about 40 to 45 percent. The chance to make, the data shows, this is not my impression, this is research showing that the chance of making you worse is about double the chance of making you better. There's actually not one paper that documents that spine surgery works for back pain, not one. And then I'm actually in charge of a major committee, of a spine committee, and we look at the literature on scoliosis surgery. There is no definition of non-operative care before we recommend these huge operations, which have a very high complication rate. They're risky, but it is so out of control the last five years, I honestly just quit my practice to get this whole process out there. Disc degeneration doesn't cause back pain. Mark Owens has a normal spine for his age, period. End of story. And I don't know how it came out, I don't, I don't, I just don't know how it became so out of control. Anyway, I told Mark to simply start these exercises called expressive writing. In my own process of chronic pain, I broke the cycle accidentally by starting these writing exercises. I didn't really know the research on this for about five years, but I started recommending it to my patients and started to work. And as Mark said in the last podcast, in about three days his pain was 85% gone, then my wife and I and daughter we're doing a workshop back at the Omega Institute in Omega in rhineberg New York. We're doing another workshop this year. We do one a year from June 7th through 9th, it's from a Friday evening until Sunday at noon. And in the workshop, there's a tremendous shift in people's pain and mood. And I now understand it's probably due to a shift in the body's chemistry where people just feel relaxed. I think people heal each other, p- heal each other. I think my role is relatively minimal but we did create a very safe environment, educational, shared experiences, et cetera. And Mark attended one of those workshops about six weeks after I first saw him. Mark, do you want to tell tell us about your experience in the workshop?
1: Well, it was to to start with, um, I went there not knowing what to expect, frankly. Um, I tried the, the expressive writing and it seemed to work, but I fully expected that my so-called recovery would be very uh, limited and short-lived. And so I, when I, I didn't think going to Omega would make that much difference. But there I met people who had profound recovery, who have had, had had profound recoveries, the same sort of recovery that I had had. And um, also I learned a lot about the neuroscience of, of neuroplasticity and how it can heal and uh, chronic pain by establishing new neural pathways in the brain that uh, uh, are wired around the, the pathways that support the self-made pain signals co- coming from the brain that support. Yeah, what's your impression with this what pain? pain? So. Uh huh.
0: So what's your overall impression of the experience of the workshop and what was just the overall feeling of the workshop to you?
1: Well, it was foundational and fundamental hey, to hey, my Mark, recovery long hey, a longer hey, term hey, Mark. because hey, Mark, I, I think a lot of this, hey, Mark. I, I, Mark. I, I
0: tell people that, Hey Mark, yes? We, we Yes, to stop. hello? Come, yes. You come, can you hear me? Can you hear me?
1: Yes, I am. Yeah. Tom, are you hearing me? Yes.
0: Okay, so Mark, I need to go back and just ask a question about what your overall impression is. You, you're completely cut out there, sorry. So I'm gonna go back and ask you a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So it's not you, it's, it's, it's I'm okay. just a computer. So. Okay, so, so Mark, what was your overall impression of the workshop, um, just to the people and the experience, and what was your general flavor of the workshop?
1: Well, it was a very upbeat, Fun workshop that um, taught me about neuroplasticity and its role in, in chronic pain. And um, but I think just as important as I met other people there who had, had who had uh, similar experiences with uh, spinal surgeries failing to address their pain and relieve their pain. And um, I went there fairly skeptical still, even though the writing had worked at that point, the expressive writing. Uh, I wasn't sure how long it would last, but meeting these other people um, and having the science behind um, the uh, the doc program, um, using neuroplasticity be explained, um, sort of sealed the deal for me mentally, I think. I, then I knew it was a real thing. I had people all around me who'd had just as significant and profound recoveries from chronic pain as I'd had. So I knew it couldn't be bogus. And I knew that, um, and the other thing is, I think the other thing that was very important there is that I learned that I will have, um, you know, I will, will have other bouts of chronic pain. I'll have relapses, but I took away from Omega the tools that I need to recover from those relapses. And I've had several one quite a profound one since uh, I left Omega. In fact, well, I've just hard. come through that. Well, and, uh, to it took
0: recently, some, right? Yes, it,
1: and it took some weeks to get through it. So, um, but I, you have to have faith or belief, and you have to have persistence right. and a commitment to the process. If you have those three things, you have a very, very good chance of recovering from chronic pain.
0: Well, I remember sitting there on the. We have a Saturday sat, Saturday night session where we, we share experiences, and and it was just really a remarkably relaxing experience. It also has a profound effect on me, my wife, my daughter. Also, my wife does rhythm, and my daughter does relaxation, somatic type work. And it's the bottom, It's what you're trying to do is just connect your consciousness to your body. Just a connecting experience, and. I've always said it for a long time, and I now I believe it's after the experience, is that really the, the book is a concept book, it's not a formula, but it gives you a structure to organize your thinking and allows a given person to connect to their own handling capacity. And I remember sitting there on the carpet, it was pretty emotional for me, and I know it's emotional for Mark, but we're sitting there looking at each other, and I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. I remember, I'm a spine surgeon, I'm the guy who does the 12-hour surgeries. I do as complex a surgeries as exist. And that's what I was trained to do. I feel sort of good about doing it when I have to do them, but I feel better about it if I see a person get better without any surgery, no cost, no risk. And Mark, at that point, you're pretty much pain free at that point, correct?
1: Right. Yes, I was. Yeah. And so the- I still had stiffness in my. I still had stiffness and limited, you know, somewhat limited mobility, but but at least I wasn't plagued by intense chronic pain that that just was ruining my life up to this point i mean can, i literally wanted to commit suicide
0: so you just, at the worst it was, point, it was that bad so i just want to let the audience know that this guy is a tough guy and your pain was pretty much your entire back correct wasn't your whole entire back on fire
1: yes and all the way down to my heels
0: really okay i didn't know that
1: in my legs and well my, my legs kept collapsing like there' spasms,
0: and you literally could hardly walk down the hallway without grabbing the walls
1: right. I was moving around my house by from one piece of furniture to the next to support myself because i didn 't know when my legs would fold up. And I have horses, and I was having trouble getting to the barn and back to the house to feed them and care for them right and uh, um, yeah, I was just and I was socially isolated as
0: well. And then what happened is I, Mark asked a question, well, when can I ride my horse? And I go, anytime. I mean, your spine is strong, is stable. And describe to the audience your activity level, let's say six months after Omega. Well, what was your, what was it what was a given day like as far as physical activity on your ranch?
1: Well, I live in a, uh, it's a, it's a, actually a, ranch come wildlife preserve, and, and there's a lot of physical labor involved, including horseback riding and chainsawing and building fence and repairing fence and, um, you know, hiking. And, and recreationally, I kayak and, um, and, again, hike and, and all that. So I'm very... Um, I, I, I'm just... <laughs> there's almost nothing I don't do that I did before, uh, right. before the original accident. Uh, i just don 't do it i 'm seventy five years old, so of course i 'm not doing doing it as as uh, you know quickly or as well or or as much of it, but I would say from my age, I live a very active life and, and um, you, you would also- never know i had my that I had this uh, these surgeries on my back and or that I had such a history of chronic pain
0: no and same thing with me i mean i 'm doing fine. Uh, which really, this is not funny. It's funny to Mark. It's not funny to me. I have arthritis in my hips and knees, and so Mark's actually walking around better than I am, which doesn't make me that happy. <laughs> so, but anyway, it, it, but I mean, I, I got to tell you, as a surgeon, even when I hear Mark's story again, I mean, I'm used. I'm the guy used to doing twelve hours of surgery. It's a big deal, and I also get to see people that have been through these operations with complications, which are often horrible. I don't call them catastrophic. And you came off medications relatively quickly. You're on no medications other than occasional Advil or Tylenol, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I I take almost exclusively Tylenol. And, you know, when I'm using my back heavily, I might take a couple every morning for three or four days. But normally, uh, usually I take uh, a couple of Tylenol every two weeks or so. And And, uh, I think most people my age do or take more than that, even so.
0: And do you mind if I ask you what your highest dose of narcotics was when you're, you were on pretty high dose narcotics too for a while, correct?
1: Uh, I certainly was. Um, Well, of course, right after my surgery, I was taking uh, uh, two Narcos every four hours, but actually it didn't begin to control the pain. I was also tried oxycodone, they did nothing for the pain. I might as well have been taking aspirin. I was put on Neurontin, that that really didn't do anything. I was on Ultram and that didn't do very much either. So I finally just went back to to, uh, Norco, which seemed to do the best. But uh, there was a time when I took seven different analgesics prescription analgesics, and muscle relaxers, plus sleep aids to get to to sleep one night. And I didn't even realize or didn't think about how (laughs) that I might not wake up the next morning. And when I did and told the nurse the next day, uh, she was blown away. She said, you're just lucky you survived. So I was very, very heavily on, yeah, I was taking a lot of narcotics. And I became a you know, <laughs> I became dependent on them eventually, right. and I had to wean myself. Of them, and uh, that was quite a process. It was so layered on top of the chronic pain issue. I became dependent on opioids. Right. So I now had two problems. And, you, and
0: you've been off of those for a long time, but you know, I mean, for me it's just. I remember sitting there on the on the carpet with Mark and um, his friend at the time, and. And looking at him, he's looking at me, and I'm just stunned that he's doing this well. I mean, I was relatively new at this at that time, and I've now seen hundreds of patients with, Mark, with, with stories similar to Mark's. Um, some more dramatic, some less dramatic, but chronic pain is a solvable problem, and the neuroscience research has flat out given us the answer. And the bottom line is, when your body's full of stress chemicals and being trapped by anything, including pain, cranks up the body's adrenaline, cortisol, and histamines, your nervous system becomes sensitized by design because when you're threatened, your body goes on high alert to defend yourself against the threat. The problem is it doubles the nerve conduction. It sensitizes the peripheral nervous system It sensitizes the brain. And then what happens with the narcotics do? They cause an inflammatory process of the glial cells, which are the supporting cells of the brain. And so they get hypersensitized from the pain pills that are supposed to be helping you. And it's a horribly vicious cycle. And of course, you weren't sleeping very well, correct?
1: No, I was not. In fact, I was a chronic insomniac.
0: Right. And I just read research. I read three research papers. Three research papers yesterday documented very clearly when you cause a person to be sleep deprived, the pain goes up. We, when people sleep, the pain goes down. We don't know the exact mechanism about how sleep affects pain, but again, right now, major surgeries are being done and recommended when people haven't slept for two or three years. And if you don't do simple things like doing sleep, et cetera, why it doesn't make any sense. Well, what's happened, somewhat evolving on a marks process around the time that I saw you around 2012, 13, is that we started what's called a prehab process. In other words, you do rehab before surgery, which means we get people sleeping, we get their anxiety, at least drop down some. Anger is an issue, frustration, physical conditioning, Medication. We, stay, we do all these things before surgery, because what the research shows is that when you do surgery in any part of the body, you can induce pain at the new surgical site 40% of the time, and 10% 10% of the time it can become worse. What happens is your nervous system is already sensitized. You add it on in the trauma of surgery. Now, to Mark had the second operation; his pain became way worse. I hear this story all the time where I had an operation it, got, it made me worse. Again, there's about twenty percent chance of making you better. There's about a forty to sixty percent chance of making you worse. That's exactly what happened. For every elective surgery that we do now, we do at least twelve weeks of what's called prehab of dealing with the documented risk factors that affect outcomes, especially sleep. And in Mark's situation, let's say he had a required surgery, I do this prehab process for at least a year before I do surgery. And Mark, I'd like to finish here with just giving you just. Well, I'm going to ask you two different questions. I don't want to quite finish yet. I I know you've had at least two major flare-ups that lasted several months each. And I know we talked about some of these stress issues you've dealt with, some of the anger issues that we all deal with around pain. And you and I have had some pretty blunt conversations about the role of anger and how how it really fires things up. Can you just give us, um, you had the flare-ups in the middle of the deal. Just just, give us a feel for some of the things that you do when you're right in the middle of this deep hole, really flared up pretty badly, because it's almost as bad as your original pain, right?
1: Right. Yes, it it was. It, It was quite significant. And what, even worse, I was afraid I was really losing the technique, that I was going to end up going down the rabbit hole of chronic pain again, and that the tools that I've learned from you and your program wouldn't work. So it would, had, it shook, and, it, and this latest bout went on for weeks, if actually, pretty much since before Christmas last year. And I've just come out of it. And, uh, and uh it, yeah, the pain was, uh, was, was, yeah, it was, it was bad, and it was getting worse. And I thought to myself, you got to get on top of this. And so I went back to the tools, I went, I meditated more frequently, I did more creative writing or, you know, the
0: expressive, expressive
1: writing, as it's called. And, yeah, expressive writing, yes. And um, I started getting more exercise. I started making sure I got better sleep. Um, uh, you know, and I, I just generally involved myself in more recreation. Um, all the elements of the doc program, I just revisited them more regularly. And... Um, Meditation, I have to reiterate, really helped too. And oh. uh, uh, envision, envisioning myself and where I wanted to be mentally and physically, and um, so um, basically, I outlasted the pain. I just kept at it until things started to get better, and and um, and now I'm I'm doing fine again. So,
0: how long did it? Um,
1: it just, as I said, you it it probably took. Uh, I'd say six weeks okay. probably before now, I me, finally came out. Yeah.
0: No, I don't want to take credit or blame, but we had a conversation about six weeks ago. Where I sort of beat you up a little bit, right?
1: You, remember that, <laughs> yeah. You remember remember the
0: conversation? Um, and you remember from? So I'm curious from your perspective. You're, you're
1: probably a great <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, I, lo, I lost you. In that I couldn't hear you. Uh,
1: uh, I said I'll let you tell tell. Talk about it because you'll probably enjoy it more than I will.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I'm just curious. So I just, the way I beat them up, and it, here's the deal. When you go into pain, you go into the victim mode, you start catastrophizing. And, you know, I've done this for 15 years myself. And if I quit practicing the tools that I teach my patients, I go back into pain myself. And But the problem is you go into the victim mode. In other words, you get angry, frustrated, and there's always legitimate circumstances that set it off. Part of the whole victim role, it's a package. So part of the victim package is that you quit using the tools that will pull you out of the hole. And I'm just curious, Mark, what you heard me say because what I was trying to say is that there's no shortcuts. Nobody ever wants, I've concluded personally that nobody ever wants to give up the victim role ever because it's so powerful. This is the one point in the process you you make a simple decision. I'm not gonna do this anymore. Done, I'm not gonna be a victim. And I don't think there'll be any point in your life where you're going to wake up and actually want to give up being a victim. And for me personally, understanding the power of that actually helped me move forward quite a bit because I'd go back into this mode all the time, talk to my wife. And it's one of those things where it just comes and comes and comes, but it's always a repetitive decision. No, I'm just not going to do that. Was that that your impression of what, what a conversation was, Mark?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, I um, I I think what was hard for me to accept was that I was playing the victim role. I didn't consciously feel angry, but I think subconsciously I was pretty pissed off <laughs> 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 that my life, after the life I'd led, I was uh, subjected now to this debilitating pain that um, basically made me want to go to the grave rather than put up with it any longer at some point. So, right. um, but you know, again, you again, it, this is where the, the belief state comes in. You have to trust the process and you have to be, you have to pursue the program religiously and, and consistently. And, um, and in a, you know, when you're busy, you, it's easy to make excuses. You, right. you, you start priority when you're feeling good. Well, you start prioritizing other things in place of the doc program elements.
0: Right. You don't
1: meditate as frequently and consistently. You don't do all the various steps that, that you have taught us are important, including programming recreation and your lifestyle. Right. This is an, a major lifestyle shift for anybody who wants to get rid of chronic pain. And if they don't make that commitment and they don't have that belief in the, in the system, in the program, uh, they make, their chances of getting over it are much, much reduced, I would say, so.
0: Right, well, I'd like to finish with a final
1: you know, of... thing... Go ahead, David.
0: I'm sorry, I know we're getting a little bit of a delay here, so it's hard to keep up here, but I'd like to finish off this part of the, of the podcast with a metaphor is that about three months ago, I came up with a metaphor in my brain about neuroplasticity. And the essence of solving chronic pain is learning to regulate your body's chemistry So you have more relaxation play chemicals than you do stress chemicals. And when your body's full of stress chemicals, it has profound effects on your body's physical symptoms. So this mental stress translates into chemical changes, which creates physical symptoms, including increased pain. And what you'd learn to do with the tools is, and everybody does their own version of it, of course, is that you learn to drop your arms down, relax, feel the breeze, and what you're doing, you're changing the body's chemistry. But the other thing is you're decreasing, decreasing the reactivity of your brain. So when you are threatened, either mentally or physically, instead of, instead of having a large stress chemical response, survival response, you're able to drop it down and have less, less of a response. That's where neuroplasticity comes in, and the shape of your brain actually physically changes. Your brain changes by the second. And the metaphor I like to use, if you're going to learn a new language, like speaking Spanish... You're gonna go to classes, do repetition. But let's say in five years from now, you're now speaking fluent Spanish. Something happened to your brain. In other words, your brain changed in a way that allows you to speak Spanish. You didn't learn Spanish by trying to correct your English, right? It doesn't happen that way. You have to figure out what you want and you you have to pursue that with your repetition. It's the same thing in chronic pain that you can't solve chronic pain by trying to come out of chronic pain. You can't fix chronic pain and expect to come out of chronic pain What you have to do is create a vision. I call it a new language. The new language is an enjoyable life, good food, good wine, good friends, relaxation, exercise, et cetera. What you have to do is create a vision of what do you want your life to look like, and you keep pursuing that vision relentlessly. And by pursuing that vision, it's like building an internal desktop, a virtual desktop on your computer. You, You literally develop a different nervous system, just like by trying to learn Spanish, you develop a different nervous system. And this new language I call an enjoyable life. Because remember, the default language is survival, stress chemicals, et cetera, and chronic pain. If you if you keep trying to fix that, you're not going to solve anything. In fact, you're going to reinforce it because your attention's on those pathways. It's like driving down the freeway, looking in the rearview mirror. That's not going to work either. And that's the hardest part. You have to let this is what's different about the process, is you have to let go and move forward with your pain or without your pain. As you move forward with your vision, with your pain, paradoxically, the pain is going to disappear because you're not using those pathways so much. But it's a repetition. And then I did write a website post called Fail Well, where these these pain circuits are permanent. They will get triggered. When they get triggered for me, as with Mark, it's pretty much as as intense as the original problem because they're, they're just right there. You just fire them right back up again. But um, anyway, Mark, I appreciate your time. It's a remarkable story. I get re-inspired by every time I hear it. And then we're gonna do another podcast here in a second, talking about really just your general view of the medical profession right now. Your interaction, your interaction with was very, very deep. You've seen many sides of this process, particularly now for the last five years since you've been out of pain. But the elephant in the room is you went from a recommendation of a probably a two hundred thousand dollars worth of surgery with essentially no chance of success to be really fully functional at the level most people would dream of at age 75, probably would cost maybe $5,000 to come out of it, if that. And the contrast is pretty stark. So anyway, Mark, appreciate your time. And uh, again, I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you uh, are still talking to me after I beat you up a little bit a few weeks ago. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for my new life. <laughs> it's exciting glad to be part of it
1: well thank you uh, David thank and Mark you. and we invite uh, all of our listeners to uh, come back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom and a reminder that uh, for more information you can go to backincontrol.com
0: thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio